In this episode, I'll talk about whether it's reasonable to have different rules for different breeds when it comes to training. It's a question that I get a lot, and it can be quite confusing to the students. So here we go. Episode 39, Different Rules for Different Breeds. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. This question has come up recently at a couple clinics, and I, I get questions emailed to me around this topic fairly frequently also. And it usually is something like, I was told that because my horse is a fill in the blank, he can't or he must do fill in the blank. You know, for example, my horse is an Andalusian, so I should never let him stretch his neck down. My horse is a Connemara, so I shouldn't expect her to bend. Something like that. <laughs> now, there are, of course, some generalizations that we can make. And when it's important to think about breed, I think, is when you're uh, horse shopping, right? So if you are going out to look for a horse, it's worth it to sit down and study the different breeds and look at what you want to do and think about that. Because at the extremes, it does matter. So for example, if you are going to look for your upper level dressage prospect, I probably wouldn't recommend that you go look at Tennessee walking horse breeding farms. <laughs> so, you know, of course, at the extremes, there's a logic to thinking about your horse's breed and what they can and can't do, or really what they're, you know, tend to be, you know, skilled at or bred, bred for. And then, you know, we, we want to, for any discipline that you're going to do, it's just smart and advisable to get a horse that naturally possesses as many of the necessarily <laughs> necessary qualities and abilities that you want, right? So there's some logic to that. But once you have a horse in front of you, all right, you've purchased your horse, you know, and this is what I get, you know, mostly in my clinics or with students, I'm not really into horse shopping. I don't help people with horse sales. Uh, so I'm, you know, dealing with students who have a horse and there we are, you know, we've got this horse, it's right there in front of us. And now what do we do with it? So once you know, once we have that horse in front of us, we want to look at the individual, not so much the breed. My goal personally is to help any individual horse be the best that he can be and to be in harmony with their rider. And that way we maximize what we have here. So <laughs> what I've found you know, in so many different breeds, there can be a huge range of variety. I remember back in New York, 
there was um, <laughs> um, people would come to, you know, say, oh, I want a Swedish warm blood or something like that. They're looking for horses and they're like, I really want a Swedish warm blood. And I used to bring out two horses because at that moment I had two Swedish warm bloods in training and one looked like a Clydesdale. <laughs> it was like 18 hands, bay with a big white nose and blaze, really high stockings on each leg. So like a look like a Clydesdale. And then I also had a Swedish warm blood in training that was barely 16 hands, uh, really flat back and croup, and a really high set neck and a very refined face. And he looked like an Arabian. <laughs> So I used to bring those two horses out and I go, okay, which kind of Swedish warm blood do you want? And actually there's, you know, everything in between. The, the whole idea of what I teach in dressage naturally and the sweet spot concept, um, that's sort of one of the signature concepts in dressage naturally is this idea that we want to know what qualities we're looking for, compare that to the qualities and the adjectives that we have in front of us, and then we want to fill in, right? We want to add more of the things that we want. And because every horse is different and every rider is different, and so therefore every horse and rider combination is a unique combination that we're going to need to do a fair amount of experimenting. And that, that to me is the, the fascinating part. So we want to see, okay, what is happening right in front of us and how do we fill that in? And if there's missing pieces, then that should be the fun part because, well, for me, it's fun because I'm a trainer. So that's what I love to do. <laughs> I love figuring out what's not there and seeing if we can get it there. So what that means is some horses are going to have more of the adjectives we're looking for when their necks are lower and their tempo is quicker or their tempo is slower or their necks are higher, <laughs> you know, or we could go on and on. There's a lot of different levers that you can turn when trying to affect your horse's way of going. There's also um, strategies as far as how much time you spend in collection and do you do the collection at the beginning of the ride, you know, and start out that way? Or do you wait until the end of the ride? How much stretching do you do? Do you do the stretching at the beginning? Do you do it a lot? Do you do it at the end? Do you do it for only a little or do you sprinkle it in between? <laughs> you know, these are all really, really fluid questions. And I find when I'm riding a horse, my brain pretty much never. I'm careful when I use the word never or always, but I don't think I, I cannot remember a time when I was thinking, oh, well, this is a, this breed, so I can't do that. You know, again, except for the extremes, you know, if I, you know, but I've ridden gated horses that can canter, you know, but it, it's more about adjusting expectations based on the individual in front of you. So if you're a student and you, your teacher says something like that, where they say, well, this is a, this breed, so you can't do this, or you can't do that, or you should always do this or never do that. 
I think it's really important that you ask why, because this, the students that I've had that have asked me about these same questions are always uh, confused. <laughs> they're confused and it's often because they're feeling things that don't connect with what their teacher is saying. Now, I'm not saying that the teacher is wrong. I'm just saying you want to ask. When you ask your teacher to explain why they're telling you never do this or always do that because of the breed, I think it's really good to dig a little bit deeper and, and cause your trainer to explain a little bit more. They might be completely correct in what they're telling you to do, but I think when they just say it's because of the breed, it doesn't really give you enough information to connect what they're saying with what you're feeling. And if you, as the owner of the horse, are spending any time riding the horse on your own, you're going to need to be making these little decisions <laughs> during the ride of exactly what tempo and exactly how much energy and exactly where to put the neck. And I think just saying because it's of this or because it's of that is not going to give you the, the enough information. And that's why I'm seeing the confusion because they don't know why. And they see other horses stretching or other horses, you know, doing certain things. And they've probably heard or read that, you know, having the back really loose and stretchable is very healthy for horses, which it is. So why can't their horse do it? And yeah, I think it's, it's worth pressing a little bit if you're told that, and they should be able to explain it. And they might have a very good reason that is actually for your individual horse in that moment. And they just didn't bother explaining it that way. <laughs> so again, not saying it's wrong, um, but I think it's worth understanding. And again, it's, it's, um, it's about adjusting expectations for that individual rather than just discounting. It may be valuable to look at bloodlines as far as getting clues about uh, capabilities and behavior patterns to get clues for how to train. I think going to bloodlines could be more valuable than even just the breed because within certain bloodlines of any breed, there's going to be horses with um, certain dynamics that are passed along from generation to generation and um, behavioral qualities that are passed down. And sometimes you can really get clues about how to handle that personality type or that confirmation, you know, um, that can really help you with that individual um, more, you know, cause I've seen warm bloods that act like Arabs and Arabs that, you know, move closer to warm bloods and, you know, everything in between Appaloosas that think they're warm bloods and, you know, it, I could go on. <laughs> so you as the student want to make sure you're understanding and make sure, um, that you're connecting what you're understanding with what you're feeling in the moment. So the person who came to me, um, with this lovely Andalusian and she was, you know, very conscious about trying to do the right thing for horse, a very conscientious rider and capable rider. And, um, 
you know, was told never to let her, the horse's neck down. And, but I'm, you know, the stretch to me is a, it's a result of balance, trust, calmness, relaxation, alignment, and, you know, that ability to use their back like that is, I think, really important. And, you know, Andalusians as a breed, if you were to make a generalization, they're often criticized um, for lacking in, um, in the ability to bring their backs up and have really swingy backs. So to me, it's kind of like, well, if that's the weak point, then being able to lower the neck in a way that brings their back up would actually, I would think, be like super important and <laughs> something that I would, I would actually try to build that skill in. But I agree, it's, it's important to understand, you know, that breed also tends to have a higher set neck, right? So as a breed, that's something that they is bred for, that the neck just comes out of the withers a little bit differently than some other breeds. I think they go for that. It's one of the characteristics that they look for. So they tend to stand a little taller naturally, which maybe will would be very different than the average quarter horse who, you know, especially if they're like trained for like cutting or something like that, where having that neck kind of low out of the withers. So if you're used to a quarter horse with a low set neck, and then you get an Andalusian, I could see that it's important to understand that like, hey, that neck is meant to be up there because otherwise it might trigger that you feel like, oh, I should put the head down because this feels weird and wrong. And I'll give you an example of that. I remember the very first Frisian that I had in training was built with a really high neck. And I kept it, whenever I rode him in the beginning, I, I realized that it kept triggering, like I felt this tension. And, and then I realized the tension was not coming from him. It was coming from me because any other horse that I was riding, if their neck was up that high, they were about to like really spook, <laughs> you know, Whoa! <laughs> up goes the neck. And so seeing that neck up in front of me was triggering this uh, unconscious, oh my God, my horse is about to spook. Now this horse did used to bolt on a fairly regular basis, but it, it was kind of fun. So I, it really didn't worry me. But it, I, once I realized that, like, oh, he's always in the posture of a, a typical warm blood when they're spooking or freaking out or about to freak out. <laughs> so in understanding, oh, that's, well, number one, that's that horse's natural confirmation. His neck is up like that when he's just hanging out. It's natural for him. And then to look at the breed a little bit more and go, oh, they do that on purpose. <laughs> you know? So, you know, but even with that said, like, oh, Frisians are bred to have high necks. Yes, it makes sense with their whole body. Yeah, if it's, if it actually does that in that individual, because I've met plenty of Frisians where their necks are up, the, it does not connect to the rest of them. And they have a, you know, I've met ones that because of that have a really hard time cantering for a dressage kind of quality canter. It's not because he's a Frisian. 
it's because that individual has that particular confirmation. I've met plenty of other breeds that have trouble cantering, maybe because their neck is high and they're not a Frisian. So again, it, if you're horse shopping, knowing breed characteristics can get you in the ballpark, right? They can get you in the ballpark of what you're looking for. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the individual. But with that Frisian, for example, or an Andalusian with a high set neck, there's a big difference between understanding that's their natural posture and allowing them to be in that natural position. There's a difference between that and not allowing them to stretch when they want to stretch. Right, so that Frisian that I rode, stretching was a huge key to, to his success and to really unlocking his back and having him really use his whole body. So that was something that I would really explore. You know, was it hard? Is it hard for some of those horses? Yes, but we adjust our expectations. <laughs> we go, oh, look, this individual horse is built like this. So he needs to learn the stretching skills. I can see it's going to be a little bit tricky for him, but I'm a trainer, so I love that process. That's the kind of thinking. Now, as far as the, you know, my horse is a Connemara or a gated horse or something like that, and therefore they don't bend. I've heard that a lot. I don't know what it is about Connemaras. I have not worked with Connemaras my, myself, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, as far as my own horses, I've had them in clinics and... I haven't seen any more or less bendability in Connemara's than any other horse or any other breed, I should say. So a horse that won't bend, this breed won't bend, well, then that means that they actually need suppling exercises even more. So I've had gated horses in my clinics and I don't know, I know about two cents worth of stuff about gating and gated horses. So when they would start showing up at my clinics, I'd say, like, listen, I don't know anything about gated, but um, I do know how to help any horse be more relaxed and more energized and more balanced and more free. And I said, I'll show you these exercises. Then you can tell me whether you feel like it benefited your gated horse. Because I know gated, you know, gating, horses that are gated are, tend to be bred to go you know, cover distances and long straight lines. And, you know, they don't need to do a 10 meter circle in their discipline. However, uh, in doing suppling exercises, um, the reports have been that their gating is better because a supple horse is a supple horse. And just because they don't need to do a circles or bending for their discipline, I think it's really important to balance it out and add in those ingredients and a supple horse is a supple horse and they're going to be more supple longitudinally if you supple them laterally. That's just uh, true <laughs> most of the time. The, the easiest way to affect a horse longitudinally is to play with them laterally. And so yes, gated horses have a little more trouble bending often, not always, but again, we just 
adjust our expectations based on the horse that's in front of us. And we do the best we can with making a drop of progress like we do with any horse with any kind of riding, right? We do our best to improve things. And as always, we try to do it without force and without pushing a horse past the limit that they show us on that day. And it's the same way, you know, same reasoning as why you wouldn't punish a lipizzan for not being engaged enough simply because, well, you're a lipizzan and you're supposed to be good at collection. <laughs> you know, if we think of it that way, it sounds kind of ridiculous, right? You were born a lipizzan, so, you know, <laughs> you should be pee-offing by now. No, we have to train them. We have to develop them. Some things will be easier, some things will be harder. But if it feels ridiculous to say, I'm going to punish my horse, my lipizzan for not being collected enough because he's supposed to be collected because he's a lipizzan, then it needs to feel just as ridiculous to say, well, I'm not going to stretch my horse because he can't do it because he's an Andalusian. In, in my mind. You know, just take every horse where it is and see if we can then improve things. And we want to do that creatively because there is no horse like your horse and there is no person like you and there is no combination like you and your horse together and you and your horse together are the only ones who are going to know where the best um, place is, where the best balance is, what the best tempo is, what the best place for your horse's neck is, what your best strategy for training is, what your best warm up is going to be. This is all a big experience. Experiment. But the more we think about feel and observation rather than just rules and generalizations, I think you're going to be better served. And that's really the power of the sweet spot concept. And it's the reason why you want to understand the different categories of gymnastic exercises, right? Things that create suppleness, things that create straightness, things that create uh, engagement. And as always, it's not about making your horse do dressage. It's about applying dressage to your horse in order to help your horse be the best that he can be. Whoever he is as a character, whoever he is in relationship to you, whoever he is as he was born with whatever confirmation he was born with and whatever movement dynamic that he happens to have, whatever color he is, whoever his mama and daddy were <laughs> and yeah, whatever breed he happens to be. So I, I hope that helps you and I hope it helps you kind of open your mind and open your feel and just keep looking at the individual that's in front of you. And again, if you're going to go buy a horse, yeah, do some research and find out which breeds have been breeding actively to um, capture this exact skills and characteristics that you're looking for. Uh, but just remember, uh, there's so much variety in every breed. So once you get in the ballpark, then take your time to really look at the individual. And if you have a horse in front of you, I don't think it serves you to... Um, Make a generalization that's going to hold you back. Just look at that horse, know the ingredients, and play with how to add them in. So anyway, I hope that helps, and uh, let me know. All right, bye. 
If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process. <laughs>